been on a halfway line with, you know, like I said, with with Jeffy Schlupp, who's an absolute rocket. Um, Vardy, obviously, like, well, what what are they doing? It was so obvious at times for us to go. We just need to let them come on to us, let them come on, soak up the pressure, soak up the pressure, and then with one or two quick passes, we we, we 60, 70 yards up the pitch, and might not always score, but gets us gets back off uh, up the pitch. In the 2015-2016 season, Robert Hoof and Leicester City achieved the near impossible, clinching the unlikeliest of Premier League titles, beating odds of, at one point, 5,000 to 1. Kevin Kraust and Matt Furness sat down, virtually with the centre-half recently, to reflect back on that incredible era for the analyst.com. And in this Behind the Article special, we've got a little bit more of that conversation for you to enjoy. I will be back at the end to give you more insight into where you can find more great content like this. But for now, it's over to Robert, Matt and firstly, Kevin. Yeah, so the anniversary is uh, is this weekend of... of um of five years since you guys won the title. So I guess kind of personally on for yourself, you were on loan with Leicester at that end of the previous season. Um, then you, you made the permanent move, I think. Was there, I guess, what was that summer like for you? And, and did you almost end up playing elsewhere that year? Um, no, I, I had such a good time. Uh, that no other club really came in, um, in my thought process, really. Um, like just turn up in day one and yeah, just like I've been there for you know for years and years and years. So once off the club started talking, there was from my side there was no no thought in my head apart from from Leicester really. Um, yeah, the summer started obviously well, but ended with the sacking. So it was a it was a it was a weird summer, that's for sure. Yeah, I was going to ask about that sacking because obviously in the media the it was kind of deemed a slightly odd decision because Nigel Pearson obviously kept you up, um, did a great job in that second half of the season after you joined. No coincidence there, I'm sure, Rob. Um, <laughs> and uh, then he was replaced by Claudio Ranieri. He'd just come off the back of a really poor spelling as Greece manager. Um, so what what were your initial thoughts when the manager changed and, and did you think that it was a poor decision at the time? Oh, for sure. Um I mean, I wasn't happy because one of the reasons I did sign for Leicester was obviously Nigel being there. Um, you know, I had a good time with him there. Um, he laid out his plans for the future, which, I, you know, I agreed with. I was happy with being part of it. Um, yeah, I mean, so so shortly before pre-season starts as well, that was a that was a, a huge surprise for us. You know, we, we started the pre-season without a manager. Mm-hmm. Um, and I obviously having worked with Claudio before, before I joined Chelsea, uh, Leicester again. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, his, his, um, his training methods back in the day used to be very different to what they were when he came to Leicester. And with the age I was, I wasn't too keen, funny enough, for him to turn up. You know, it sounds crazy now, but, you know, it used to be very physical training, uh, loads of running, you know, really ultimate sort of um, training methods. But... And my body couldn't handle it. Just from a, from a purely savage point of view, I was thinking, if I have to train like I did when I was 17, 18, you know, just signed three years, you know, there's no way I can, I can play three years um, with that sort of um, training. Um, but as it turns out, he's, he, he changed a lot um, and he was very adaptive and sort of bought into the method that, that Leicester had. Yeah. 
What was Ranieri like that year compared to what he was like at Chelsea, I guess? Well, I mean, people change, obviously, don't they? You know, they develop, they get a bit, get a bit, bit more relaxed. Um, at Chelsea, it was very intense. Like, every day was was 100%. Um, he's very dominant uh, back at, at Chelsea. Um, you know, very sort of alpha male around the training ground. And um, I just had that in my mind when he came. I was thinking, if he's going to be like that here, it's going to be difficult. But full credit to him, he was completely different character. He was open, he listened. He treat you, you know, really with respect. Um, <laughs> gave you a few days off as well, which you know, I, was, I can't remember ever getting of him when, he, when I was younger. Um, but no, he, he obviously learned a huge amount uh, along his career, um, and he yeah he imp- implemented it with us and he trusted trusted us. Yeah, because he went from obviously he was known as the Tinker Man at Chelsea. He made a lot of changes that season at Leicester. You used fewer players than any other team. So do you think that was a major reason behind your success, that you had a solid kind of starting 11? I think one of the facts we have is that uh, there was a starting 11 that played 13 times that season. and Only two Premier League champions have ever selected a starting 11 more often than that in a season. You were part of that 11. Um, yeah. So it was kind of like he knew the formula that worked and he knew the players that would do it for him. Um I mean, do you think that was a big part around it? Did Towards the end of the season, did tiredness kick in? Because obviously using fewer players and not having that backup coming in, do you think that, were you worried at the time that that was going to come and sort of bite you? No, I mean, from a player's point of view, you, you want to play every game. You know, you you need to sort of consistency, the trust with your, with your teammates around you. And I'm not a big fan of these excuses of, of being tired. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm here to play. You know, if I wanted to rest, I... I'd do something different. Um, but like, like you said, I mean, when you look back at the teams, the teams that have won something or will win something, they tend to have a, a really sort of base 13 to 14 players that, that rely on. Now that comes into, um, gets a bit more difficult when you've got a big squad and, you know, you need to keep the players happy and so on. That's why sometimes managers overthink, you know, and, and give players a game when they really shouldn't shouldn't do, uh, just to keep them happy. But for us, it was the case. We had something great going. Um, and why change? It, you know, the players were fit, they were eager, they were motivated. So it kind of fell into its place. There was no need to change it. But, you know, why change a winning team? It's, 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 it's a really basic saying, but it's true. Yeah, exactly. For for you as someone who had you know already won a Premier League earlier in your career with a with a big six club, how did this experience compare for you? You know, you were you were what right around thirty, I think, when this happened, and and pretty young when when the first one happened with uh, with Chelsea. So what was it? What were the differences in those two? Well, at Chelsea, obviously, I, I was a part of a team, um, not a very big part. I came on, I played a couple of games, and, and so on. So I never really felt deserving of of being a title winner, even though it's a team game and one player maybe plays thirty games, one just three games. That's just the way it is. But from the sort of Ego point of view, I never really felt like I could, you know, put too much to the team. I always sort of felt not being too much of a part of it. Um, but obviously, at Leicester, it's a completely different story. You know, I was I played every game. Um, I could feel the team sort of, you know, looking at, looking up to me as a not as a as a hero, but just as a as an experienced player. Um, so obviously, Leicester one is a is a massive, massively more. Plays in my heart more than the Chelsea ones, only because I, I played a big part in it. 
we what we've talked about one arrival that summer um already with Ranieri another one was N'Golo Kante uh, that year how much of your success or how as a central defender how much did a player like that having in front of you have an impact in how you played and because you the confidence you had in that it would be so much harder for teams to get through you yeah I mean what there's not a word that hasn't been said about him in like he's just an incredible player um and we didn't know too much about him um to be honest um not be sounding disrespectful but you know it's it you know sometimes you sign a player that you don't know about too much um but he's i mean it was just a joke really i mean i'm, I'm laughing about it now but he was just so <laughs> talented um the really you know, the game was was incredible that the amounts of passes he intercepted um, even in training, he just got so frustrated if he's not on your team because he just kept taking the ball, intercepting. He led the he led the Premier League that season with tackles and interceptions. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't, was, wouldn't be how surprised. How quickly did it take you to notice that he was a step above what uh, third, other other persons was? Third day in training, something like that. <laughs> he, he was that outstanding. Everyone, because you, without trying to be disrespectful, but he's not very physical imposing guy so he tended to just like oh you know but I mean he put put it about you know um and like I said but by day three we were just talking and changing and saying how good is this guy you know he was really good and you, you look at the teams now that had success you know uh Man City uh, with Fernandinho in that position um so many other teams uh, Le- Leicester again with with it indeedy um similar position he I think he's outstanding um and I think if you if you talk to any centre defenders, you, you you want someone like that in front of the back four. Liverpool Henderson, I know he plays a bit more offensively also, but you know it's so important to have the position because when the game stretches and everyone gets a little bit excited and sort of wants to score a goal or you know the the, the thoughts get in your head, it's it's massively important to have that guy in front of you um, who sort of screens off um, and all good teams have, have that position. During that season, the only player to play every minute for you was Wes Morgan um, in central defence with you. Do you think Do you think that Morgan was the best central defender partnership you've ever had um, in football? Uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of comparing uh, who's the best, who's the worst. I think you have different relationship. Um, I'd like to think anywhere when they had a really good um, working relationship with, the, with our centre-back partner. Um, but certainly it was outstanding uh, for a few years, West, that's for sure. Um, and obviously, people always want to hear that's the most romantic one because we won, but you know, I wouldn't want to put any disrespect on the, the other lads I played with because, you know, they equally gave it their all um, and so on. Kind of similar similar question, I guess, but um, you, we always hear about, you know, Conte, we hear about Vardy, we hear about Maras from that season. Who do you think was you know, just as vital potentially to those guys uh, that, that doesn't get the recognition that, that those guys do? I'd probably say Wes, Wes Morgan. Yeah. Uh, I've said before, I thought it was, I can't remember him having a bad game that year. Um, I think he was, he's always been top three performers that year um, of the players on the pitch. I really was. Um, you know, obviously the strikers get the headlines or the goalkeeper when they save a penalty and so on, but I think he went under the radar. Um, I think he got into the PFA team of the year that, that season. So I think that shows that, that he's really that his performances that year were just incredible. You weren't known for your uh, goal scoring talents at Leicester, maybe more so at Stoke. 
Um, yeah. He scored in two very, very important games that season. Uh, he scored the winner away at Spurs. Yeah. And he scored two goals away at Man City. Um, how, I mean, were you seen as an attacking threat for Leicester? Was it often that you just, those opportunities came about, but you never got on the back of the score sheet? Was it something that was worked on in training very often, that it was the two centre-halves were going to be an aerial threat at set pieces? Obviously, those two games, without your goals, you would have drawn those, and they were crucial points taken off title rivals as well. I think I was quite high in terms of percentages, having the first contact from a corner or a free kick. Um, so even though I didn't score that many, there was always something happening afterwards, you know, like we flick on or we get another corner or, you know, the, the ball would stay in the area. And it certainly we worked on, for sure. I mean, you know, we had Christian Fuchs as well with long throw-ins. We, we at yeah. times used that as well. Um, I think it's crazy not to work on set pieces. I think it's a it's a it's a dead ball. You can set it up properly. You can make your runs, um, and we did. Um, I think did I score three that year. Yeah, three. Yeah, you got three yeah. that season. So would you say that City game? Uh, looking at results, that was the point where you probably started believing you could win the title. That was a glory game. It was it live on TV? It was an early kickoff, so everyone obviously talks about it. But it's still a long way to go, then, wasn't it? It's like yeah, that was mid Feb. I think February, yeah, yeah, and I, I'm sure I had conversations with myself where I, I had you know do a bit of daydreaming and you oh imagine if we do this imagine if we do that, but I think um, the, the real belief sort of came a bit later on in this after that really um, yeah that was 13 games left then and you lost to Arsenal the game after that which was I think that was the time Arsenal started to believe they could win the league as well yeah um, exactly um, so I mean uh, yeah. That's how quick it goes, isn't it? You go from the high of, of winning and people start talking to, oh, look, they're blowing it a week later when, when, when you lost to Arsenal. But it's the way it was. Um, but it, I think you just need, every so often, it sounds crazy, you just need a good a good, a good, good loss. You know, really sort of sharpens your minds again. Uh, everything was becoming, without something arrogant at all, but it just became a little bit too easy. You know, we won the games, we won the games. And every so often, you just need a slap. This is maybe like a, harder question to answer in retrospect but you talked about like how impressed you were by Conte in the in the preseason um but but given how the pre the previous season had gone do you remember what your kind of honest assessment of the team was entering that season like, what did you think was possible I was when I first came on loan I was I couldn't believe why they were so uh, at the bottom. I mean, they genuinely had a really good team, and they just kept losing by a goal. Um, but they had the pace in the right positions. They had Schlupp on the wing, Vardy up front. They had experience in, in, with Kasper and goal with West at the back, um, and also at Sasta. I just remember, you know, <laughs> we lost to, uh, to Arsenal again. I was thinking this team is good. Like we genuinely got a chance of staying up. Um, and so obviously, having finished that season on the high, but you know, not getting relegated, you're really excited. You think we only need one or two players because because Vardy was staying, I was still there, Drinkwell was there, Casper was there, um, I think Christian Fuchs was an early announcement. So you're starting to think this this definitely won't be a struggle, a struggle season. Um, but obviously, at no point did I think we'd we go on and do what we did. But I so said we had a really good we had a really good team. Um, and all people are that you know, up but outsiders here, outsiders there, but. Each in the, in the position, they were good players. In terms of style, you guys won the league with, I think it was 42% possession. Teams have tried to do that since then. You know, Mourinho tried to do it this year with Spurs. It, it didn't work out. 
why were why were you guys effective in that style over the course of a 38 game season how were you able to make it work because other clubs they, they make it work for four or five games and then it, it falls off this this worked consistently for an entire season for you guys how i think um, i mean looking back i mean we we must have gone one that up in so many games um certainly the home games we used to make a real first 50 minutes get your noses in front um and once you do that you sort of the game changes automatically the team has to come out the other team um and that's sort of that's the way we played it you know we pressed high the first sort of 10 15 minutes to try to do it away as well so it wasn't just a home thing but it's a little bit more difficult time sometimes but certainly get get ahead get ahead because we you are the worst when you when you're chasing the game you know you make stupid decisions you don't track your runner you get too excited you get out of position and that's what we did and some teams did exactly that you know with 20 minutes into the game they were running it down and they were doing stupid stuff you know both fullbacks bombing arm leaving one-on-one -on -one with Vardy and half and half where I'm like what you think you're doing <laughs> you're gonna lose the right <laughs> um and I think that's that's um I think that was a big big reason why we had success because um teams were chasing and they weren't they weren't at times not disciplined enough to to sort of see out the game um but yeah we just punished them do you think it was an attitude thing as well like come on this is this is only Leicester. We surely can can beat them here playing this game, but they probably underestimated the the talents you had. And uh, obviously, as you said, the pace and attack with Vardy, Mares, Okazaki wasn't slow either, really. Um, so yeah, I mean, counter attack goals that season you led as well. So Jamie Vardy had that great scoring run uh, earlier in the season as well. Those sort of things they give you the confidence to think actually, even if everything's going against us, we've got someone up front who can put the ball in the back of the net. Was that something for you as a central defender that's always playing in your mind? Yeah. I mean, sometimes when, when you sort of are playing too well and you sort of just defend a bit, it's great just to to know that you've got someone um, that some is physically faster than someone else. It makes such a big, big difference. I mean, I used to hate when someone was faster than me. I mean, it's quite a few players that were faster than me. <laughs> You'd probably say, but it just puts you on your back foot. Um, and being on the halfway line with, you know, like I said, with with Jeffy Schlupp, who was an absolute rocket. Um, Vardy, obviously, like, well, what what are they doing? It was so obvious at times for us to go. We just need to let them come on to us, let them come on, soak up the pressure, soak up the pressure, and then with one or two quick passes, we we, we 60, 70 yards up the pitch, and might not always score, but gets us gets back off uh, up the pitch, and so on and. Yeah, and no, I was strange how teams not changed it towards the end of the season. Um, there's the, the, all the teams still played the same, and we were just thinking this is too too good an opportunity to miss to 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 play that long ball. Was it? He didn't only score the goals, did he? He won a lot of penalties as well. So he won thirteen. You won thirteen penalties that season, which was only broken as a Premier League record last season by Man United. So it gives you. Kind of not only scoring goals, but getting in those positions where you can get yourself a penalty to to change the game. Yeah, I mean he's so fast. I mean even in training, I used to kick him thinking I'd get the ball. So that I'm, <laughs> I'm not surprised. Sometimes you watch, sometimes you watch Leicester play and you watch watch defense. Why are you making a tackle? But I've played against him in training. I, I've been in position where I think I can nick the ball if here. Before you know, he toe pokes it away and then oh god, penalty. Mm. Given the given the style you guys played, uh, you obviously, like you said, you understood that you had to let teams kind of come on to you. But as a centre back, 
um, with all the pressure of trying to stay top of the league, was that stressful, just playing center back on a team that didn't have the ball quite as much as, as some other Premier League teams did? No, I loved it. Uh, I really put the responsibility on you. Um, completely focus your mind. You know, you have to be, you know, like when you watch Man City play, now they obviously have so much more of the balls. So they're defending differently than what we used to. But for me, and I think I can speak for my teammates, we used to love it for the defenders. Um, you know, it's that if we can just sort of, um, you know, be solid for the first 20 minutes or the last 20 minutes, it gives you a massive bass when I, when I go off the pitch or you block a shot or, you know, you do a good clearance or so on. I used to love it. Like, I used to have strong periods and you just said, mate, you defender. Do what it says on the tin, you defender. You know, like, start thinking always about uh, what if, what if. That's all you used to say to me. What if, what if the ball back's down there? You know, are you in a good position? You know, I said... When, when the ball's up uh, up the pitch, that's uh, you're most vulnerable because you switch off, you start watching the crowd, see if you see spot your mum or your girlfriend or your wife. <laughs> you you watch you watch football now. It, it, it's crazy. And he said, and he used to hammer into me. He said, just just when you haven't got the ball, are you in a good position all the time? What if what if it's all fucking boring at times, but. <laughs> It gets in the head, um, and I think, yeah, grateful for all that advice he used to give me. But he, he had really had a big sort of importance on on the way I thought about defending. You know, we we hear, like I said, there are plenty of storylines from that season that we hear over and over. Be it like the five thousand to one odds or whatever the case may be. What's something about that season that you guys on the team were aware of that maybe didn't? get out to the media or so, something that maybe something important that happened that, that we just don't know about? Well, not that I can think of really now. I mean, the chairman always used to have a, he was really keen on having everyone involved, you know, having like a social get together, go for, for a nice meal. Everyone from the club wasn't just the players. It was, was always a big thing. I think, I think it's something that's not been talked about too much, but the weird cohesion we had as a team um, and not just on the pitch, you know, um, just sometimes all you need to do is go for a few drinks, have a chat, and you get this weird camaraderie of that one sort of thing. And we used to do it quite a lot with Leicester, and I'm sure they still do it now. Um, have, have, a, have a good social sort of get-together, you know, where you can drop your guard a bit. You don't have to be this uh, alpha macho when you got to, to training. You can have a bit of a laugh. You can find out what the kids, your, your centre-backs partners, kids are called and so on. I think this is very important um, that you have that sort of, together and it's not just on the pitch but sort of all together where where it's a bit more than just um, a colleague so you keep in touch with a lot of the guys still i drop him a message you know it's like once you once you leave it's sort of it's a bit sore for about a week and then everyone just moved on and um, i'm pretty sure if i pick up the phone i'll bring him or text him they get straight back but you know it's live and people move on and i move on as well you know <laughs> where it is so what are you up to now, Rob? Yeah, so we obviously moving back uh, in Berlin. I'm doing my um, sporting directorship, uh, a degree, which ends mm. September, hopefully. Um, yeah, and after that, get to work, get out there, see what's what's up there. In terms of, you know, I'm always, I was always interested in the sort of background in football, um, how it all works, how planning goes, how strategies goes, the scouting, recruitment, all that sort of stuff, always been, because as a cloud, you don't really get to see it, do you? It's sort of, 
someone puts in your team and not well, me enough, this is all right. But um, there's a lot of work that goes behind it. And um, yeah, I just want to find out how it all works. That was a behind the article conversation with Robert Hoof, who we thank for giving up his time to join Kevin Kraust and Matt Furness remotely. The music in this podcast is from Audio Network and was produced by me, Graham Bell. This has been a production for The Analyst, home of data-driven storytelling, which features great in-depth articles from across the sporting world, as well as specialised data visualisations and other podcasts too. If you like this, then make sure to check out our five-part mini-series looking back over the history of the Premier League. All the episodes are available for you right now at theanalyst.com, where you will find all of our other great content too. And don't forget to come and join in the conversation on social media. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at OptaAnalyst. You can continue to get lost in the reads from The Analyst by subscribing on your preferred podcast application like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music and many others. And we would love for you to rate and review the show too, giving us those all-important five-star ratings. And if you would rather reach out personally to us, then please drop us an email to editors at theanalyst.com. We will be back with another episode soon, but for now, it is so long from everyone at The Reads from The Analyst. (laughs) 